Nuggets. I'm your host, Matt Moore. Thanks for joining me. Friday's episode, up a little little bit late. Uh, I've had a crazy week with uh, lots of stuff getting ready for the launch of Colorado sports betting, which happened on Friday, even though, you know, we don't have sports. Still, there's lots of stuff that you can actually find to bet on, including Broncos futures, Nuggets futures, all sorts of cool stuff. You can check it out um, over my site, actionnetwork.com. But more importantly, you can check out all the awesome stuff on the Locked On Network. Go to at Locked On NBA Net, and you're going to find all sorts of great stuff from our network, including Chad Ford's Big Board, Rejecting the Screen with Adam Stanko, just all sorts of great shows that we're adding every day, as well as all of the, the shows from around the league. Guys are still putting in content. Go find out about what's going on with one of the teams that you think is interesting while we wait for the Nuggets to return. On today's episode, I'm going to dig one more time into what I've been talking about throughout the week, which is the idea of major changes coming to the Nuggets. I want to kind of put this to bed in the event that we move forward talking about what is what was. So we're going to talk about kind of like what could be today. And we're going to finish that conversation uh, by talking about some of the options for upgrades at the two spot. And in order for me to do that and to do it appropriately, I have to spend the next couple of minutes talking about how awesome Gary Harris is because Gary Harris is awesome. And I hate that this has to be a conversation, but this is just kind of like where the situation has evolved to. Um, So I'll start this conversation by given you a blunt piece of bias. Um, so I try very hard to be unbiased because uh, I'm a writer and I cover these guys and you want to be unbiased towards everybody. And every writer does have biases. There's guys they like and guys they don't like and guys they have good interactions with and guys they don't have good interactions with. And all that stuff happens. Um, the interactions with part very rarely actually winds up impacting things because the people that get bugged by that stuff don't do this very long. Like you have to be able to separate yourself from the way that the players will treat you because it's not personal and they don't know you and you don't know them. Uh, and so even if they're a jerk to you, it doesn't really matter. Like that's the thing is like, it's not that you're able to like empathize with them or realize that they're right or whatever. It's more of just, you're like, you know, it doesn't really matter. Like they're going to have other, they're going to probably go on and play for other teams and you're going to cover other players. And that's just kind of how it is. Um, so I'll say this, like, I did a sit down with Jamal Murray and never got to publish the feature because he got hurt. And I tried to talk to him at summer league, his rookie season. And he tried to blow me off before Nuggets PR, like ran him down to get him to do the interview. And that's just kind of how Jamal is. I don't have any problems with Jamal because I think Jamal's one, the kid works really hard. Um, and I don't have any sort of like, I don't have enough of a relationship with him to have a problem with him. Right. Like he doesn't know like who I am, which is fine. Um, the reason I bring up Jamal is to kind of note like the differences. Like I have, I've talked to Gary, not a lot, but I've talked to him consistently for so long. Like I, I was asking him questions in Brian Shaw's year when he wasn't getting minutes. And I was like, this is really weighing on you, isn't it? And he was like, yeah, it really is. Like the kid was shook. And I talked to him when he got minutes and how, you know, finally turning into it. And then, you know, finally kind of seeing the fans show up and then turning into a major player on a playoff team and all this kind of stuff. Like I've talked to him throughout it. Um, to the point where I don't go to him a lot anymore because I've asked him a lot of the stuff that I've needed. And if I'm going to go to Gary now, I, I want to ask him something specific. Um, I say all that to say this. I'm very biased towards Gary Harris and I'm very biased against Jamal Murray in a basketball sense. And the reason is um, Jamal is a two guard that wants to be a point guard because he watched Steph Curry and that's what he thinks of the, as the league. And that's where he thinks he's best, but he's not. He's better as a two guard. 
And I like Gary Harris because Gary Harris has never wanted to be more than what he is. Like, he needs to play defense. Okay, I'll do that. Uh, needs to play hard. Okay, I can do that. Needs to be an efficient cutter. Needs to add, you know, a shift to the middle when they close out on your three-pointer in the corner. He did all these things. Like, I have a lot of respect for guys that grow into their roles rather than assuming a large role from the get-go. And a lot of that just gets into my psychology. And I just prefer the way Gary Harris plays basketball. Like, I like defense. And I like, I like smart decision pa- decision making over tough shot making. And that's just a preference thing. So my ideal would be like Gary Harris stays and then they get like a bigger guard. But whenever we've talked about this throughout the week, like we've talked about the fact that I think Jamal Murray is staying for a lot of reasons, including the fact that Jamal's better than Gary Harris. Like he just is. He's a better player because the ability to make those tough shots that Jamal does can fundamentally shape a game in a way that Gary's defense and the small things that he does can't. And unless Gary gets back to where he was in 2017-ish, where, you know, 17-18, where, you know, he's every night, like, he could conceivably go off for 30. Not every night, but, like, once in a while, like, any night, you could be like, oh, Gary Harris had 28 points that night. It wouldn't shock you. Unless he gets back there, this decision isn't difficult because, you know, Jamal has gotten better as a passer. He did get better as a defender this year. Uh, Gary is probably worthy of an of an all NBA all defense nod, either probably second team. Um, he probably won't get it. He won't get it. I'll say that up front. He won't get it. But he's worthy of it this year. And the amount of work that he's put in on that end, it's hard to say whether that was like how much of that impacted his offense. It's just impossible to make those determinations. The players can't tell you. Because I've asked guys that before where I'm like, look, your shot's really off this year, but your defensive stuff is a through the roof. Is there a cost there? And several of them, like some guys will say like, yeah, I think so. Because one, they're trying to answer the question in which I lead them to. And two, it may, it's easier for them. And then, But most guys will answer, you know, I don't know. Like, I don't know if that's the reason for it. I don't really have an answer. Like, most guys can't explain to you why their shot's not going in. But that's not a thing that that NBA players can describe to you, you know? Like, lesser players can probably tell you, like, well, I can't jump high enough, or my mechanics aren't right, or I don't have the arm strength, or I don't have the depth perception, or I've never been a good shooter, or these things. But NBA players, by and large, on the wing, are just be like, I have no idea why the shot's not going in. I talked to Chris Middleton, who went through like an insane slump in uh, 17-18. He went through this season-long slump, and then I talked to him in preseason, and I was like, do you think that you're past that? And he was like, well, I got past it in the playoffs. He was like, And I was like, what changed? He was like, nothing. I just got past it. He's like, it was just one of those things. Like This stuff just happens, and there's no real way to explain it. Someday, when we have nanorobots that are working alongside the the players along their skin and and in their jerseys and analyzing every single muscle movement and their heart rate and we have all this biometric data far far off in the future we'll be able to determine what it is a cause of shooting slumps but until then uh we're just gonna have to make do with the fact that there's no real way of knowing what caused gary harris a shot to kind of fall off but gary harris is a guy that helped this team get where it was that was involved in trade rumors on draft night and a few days later helped sign Paul Millsap. He went to the meeting in Atlanta and helped them sign him. I will never forget that as a absolute stamp of professionalism from Gary Harris. Gary's never shown up late for practice. Gary's never been disciplined for team you know, conduct. Uh, Gary, his Instagram reveals that 
Gary enjoys being an NBA player like a lot of young guys do, but it's never impacted Gary's play on the court that I'm aware of. He's never had an issue with a coach or expressed an issue with a coach, at least, even when Brian Shaw was burying him six feet under the ground. Um, he's always backed his teammates. He's always been supportive. He's always done the right thing. Gary Harris is the model of professionalism. I think he's going to have a long and successful NBA career. The fact that I think that this is probably his last year in Denver is more about two black swan events in Nikola Jokic and Michael Porter Jr. than it is at all about Gary Harris. And I think that Gary Harris, if he is not traded and he stays, will continue to be a great member of the Nuggets. And I just hope that the fans appreciate what Gary's done because Gary's come to work every single night. He He's there in the preseason summer sessions, and he's there all the way through the last game of the playoffs. Gary Harris shows up to work, and I have all the respect in the world for that guy. I have all the respect in the world for Jamal Murray, too. I, the fact that I prefer Gary is about what I like about basketball versus what Jamal's good at. Um, but as I continue this conversation in the next two segments about where the Nuggets go from here, do not get confused. Gary Harris is a great basketball player. Hey guys, real quick, I want to tell you about Postmates. From an early morning breakfast burrito to a 12-pack of beers while you're watching the game when the games come back, sometimes you just need what you need delivered fast. And that's where Postmates comes in. If you're like me, you probably start thinking about what to eat for dinner while you're eating lunch. I love food, and that's why I love using Postmates. I use it all the time, especially when I'm on the road. I just, all the time, I'm ordering Postmates to fill in whatever I can't get. I stay by airports a lot um, for the hotels for a number of reasons, for convenience. But the only problem is you can't really get to much of anything. If I'm not there, I'm usually downtown, and there's not usually a lot of grocery stores in downtown areas either across the the, the great NBA landscape. Uh, and so I rely on Postmates to get stuff for me that I need, whether I forgot something or my kid took a toiletry item out of my bag or uh, I'm just dying for some Red Bull to get me through a riding binge at 2 a.m. Postmates is there for me. But Postmates doesn't just deliver burgers and sushi. They make my life easier, like I said, with grocery delivery and whatever I can think of delivery to. Convenience stores, clothing stores, I got a belt one time, you name it. No more trips to the store, no more late night fast food runs. I don't even have to worry about where to grab lunch. Just download Postmates on iOS or Android, find your favorites, and get anything you want delivered within the hour. And for a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use code LOCKEDONNBA. That's code LOCKEDONNBA for $100 of free delivery credit with no minimum purchase for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it. Postmate it. All right, next up here on Locked On Nuggets. So I talked about Gary Harris. I've gotten that all in my system. I needed to discuss that. I wanted to go through some of the options for if the Nuggets were to put together various packages this summer. Like, let's say, hypothetically, I'm right and that they're probably going to go shopping for an upgrade at the two-guard spot. What does that look like? Uh, I'm going to start with the worst possible option here for a major upgrade, and that's Zach Levine. Uh, obviously, our tourist Karn Sovis is now in Chicago. There's a strong relationship between Tim and our tourist. They can get that deal done. 
I know for not a fact. I know I have reason to believe very strongly from people close to the situation that uh, Arturis Karnasovas is not going to be super sold on the idea of Zach Levine. He's not going to be attached to him and be like, this is my guy. Um, he'll probably give them an opportunity. He'll try and see what he does with a better coach, etc. cetera. Uh, but he'll probably listen to offers. Um, Levine this season averaged 26 points per game, five rebounds, four assists, shot 45% from the field, 38% from three, and 80% from the line. These are all really good numbers. Um, Zach Levine is, in fact, a really good NBA player. He's averaged a career high in points per game. He averaged a career high in rebounds per game, just slightly, 4.8 to 4.7 last year. His assists were down a little bit, which that's to be expected because the Bulls offense fell off a cliff because Jim Boylan couldn't coach his way out of a cardboard box. Um, now, I actually don't think that. I think Jim Boylan did some really good things with the defense. I think Jim Boylan is trying to coach a lot of the right things, but I think that Jim Boylan's approach is caustic to modern NBA players, that this group didn't appreciate him. Um, maybe Jim Boylan's going to work out great in his next stop. Maybe it's going to be completely different. Like Dwayne Casey completely flatlined in his first stop too. Um that happens. So I'm not saying that when I say Jim Boylan can't coach the way out of a cardboard box, Jim Boylan couldn't coach the Bulls out of a cardboard box is a better way to put that. Um, Levine shooting 38% from three is, is really notable. That's a career high, or sorry, that's not a career high, but it's up there um, amongst where he's been consistently. He had one season where he did the 34%, but he's been above 37% in all but two seasons, and one of those was his rookie year. So he's a consistent three-point shooter, which is one of the things that you need. Uh, if you want to know that my big outstanding concern with Zach Levine, it's I've mentioned this on other podcasts and in other situations, and it's really this, and this number is really telling. So I'm big into the on-off metrics. That's pretty well known. If you follow me on Twitter, I'm always posting on those. Uh, I don't think that they're always indicative. It can just be a matter of, I don't think it's a matter of how good a player is at a certain thing. It can just be that this thing doesn't, work like i think lamarcus aldridge is a really good defensive player i think lamarcus aldridge with the spurs over the past two seasons it has not worked defensively and that's revealed in how the defensive on-off splits present themselves uh if we look at the bulls this season zach levine okay so the bulls had a pretty good defense they've rotated somewhere in between 20 and 10 for most of the season they managed to get their defense into a pretty good place the problem was that their defense with levine was 111.2 Without him, it was 101.2. They literally were an elite defense whenever Levine was on the bench, and they were garbage whenever he was on the floor. This is a problem, especially when his offensive rating, you can live with that if you're generating like Luka Doncic numbers, 113, 115. You'll live with that. You'll be like, you know what? We're a, we're a 500 team. We're plus two in, in point differential. It's pretty good. But instead, they only average 106.8. Now, again, a lot of this is that Boylan absolutely wrecked that offense. They have Laurie Markkinen and Wendell Carter Jr. and um, Thaddeus Young and all of these guys. Like They have guys that really can score. Uh, Tomas Sadaransky is another guy. They have all the, Kobe White. They have all these guys that can score, and yet their defense absolutely was better than their offense. That's a sign of the coaching having impact on both ends of the floor, one in a positive and one in a negative. It also, though, shows with Levine, even when Boylan was coaching the rest of a pretty young and inexperienced group of not great defenders to be pretty decent, Levine was still bad. That's a concern. Like when it's just Levine on the floor, that's an issue. You know, and to put this in perspective, you know, Cristiano Feliciano, Felici, uh, sorry, uh, Cristiano Felicio 
had the worst defensive rating on the Bulls, but he only played 386 minutes. The second worst of the entire Bulls roster in defensive rating was Zach Levine. So if you're bringing him on, here's what you're getting. You're getting a guy that has a pretty poor assist to turnover ratio, uh, likes to shoot a whole lot, shoots well, but not at an elite level, and the defense falls off a cliff. I don't know what a Levine-Jokic combo looks like. There's a way that it works. If Levine grows into himself, um, takes the fresh start, and is just like, I really want to prove that I could be a part of winning culture, then there's a lot of things that this can go well. And Michael Malone has reached bad defenders and gotten them to be decent. Like I said, Jamal Murray's been pretty good this year. Not good every game, not good for every month of the season, but I think overall I would give Jamal Murray, like he's been fine defensively. I haven't... I haven't been like, oh my God, he's a train wreck like he has been in recent years. And a lot of that's because of his commitment. And a lot of that's because Malone can coach him up into it. So there's like a possibility that that can work. But there's also just a lot of ways in which the way that he plays basketball, like Levine is not going to be like, oh, I got to give the ball to Jokic because he's the guy. Levine's going to be like, well, we're both the guy. So we're just going to run this pick and roll thing over and over and over again. And we've seen how that kind of works with the Nuggets where Jamal just kind of comes off and shoots. I have zero idea of how Jamal and Levine work together. That to me does not work at all. Um, they're basically two guys that are the same. They're two guards that want the ball all the time. And that that does not seem to function even if Jokic wasn't around. Like maybe it would work if it was just like a traditional five. But with Jokic, like that dynamic is not going to go. Um, so then you take another step up. And I'm going to lay off Drew Holiday because I want to go back to him in another episode probably next week. I do want to talk about Bradley Beal, though. Uh, Bradley Beal this season, 31 points per game, 6 assists, 4 rebounds, 45.5% from the field, so about the same as Levine. Didn't shoot as well from 3, 35.3%. So Levine shot better from 3 than Bradley Beal. Uh, An effective field goal percentage of 52% compared uh, to Levine, uh, who had 52.6. So the difference was... You know, Beal was was almost the same in terms of effective field goal percentage because he took so many more threes. Um, I want to throw out all the all the metrics from Bradley Beal this season because he knew going in this team was going nowhere. Everyone knew going in when this season was going nowhere. And honestly, like it's a credit to Scott Brooks that he was able to find like an offense that cooked the way that it did. Like he leaned into it, and the defense was terrible, and they were kind of fine with that because they knew that their best way to win games was just the score. Um, And look, I can't really talk about defensive rating with Zach Levine and not mention Bradley Beal, who I said that 111 mark with with Levine, which was bad. Yeah, it was 117.6 with Beal. That was also second worst on the team behind former Nugget, Isaiah Thomas. Poor guy. Um, They were a minus 7.8 with, I'm sorry, it was a minus 4.5 with Bradley Beal on the floor and a minus 2 with him on the bench. They were slightly worse with uh, in net rating with Beal on the floor. I just don't think that this was a season in which you can appropriately kind of aver- like assess Beal. Uh, in previous seasons when it was Wall and uh, Markeith Morris and that group and Otto Porter, Beal was a plus defender. Like He was willing to give the effort and he was good and he was athletic and he would make steals. Uh, Beal was never a guy that I looked at and said like they're going to target him defensively. That was not that was not something the Celtics did in their playoff series or any of the other teams that they faced. Um, it just you know it didn't work for a lot of other reasons. But 
defensively, he was fine. And he's obviously an elite scorer. I think Beal fits about as well as anybody. Like if that, if he comes available, he's worth a package of Gary Harris, Will Barton, and pieces. Like that, that situation makes a lot of sense. It gives the Wizards more assets along with the picks. Um, Gary Harris is low maintenance. They can, you know, kind of build around, I guess, around Rui Hachimura or whoever. Um, and Beal would legitimately, I think, fit well into the situation. He would be the face of the franchise along with Jokic, but would also be totally fine with making the right play and empowering Jokic all the time. He'd be happy to work off ball and get those open shots from Jokic. Like he would work in a great capacity next to Joker. And I think that despite him being 6'3", he still feels very much bigger to me than Gary Harris. Like he just feels bigger to me than Gary Harris. And maybe that's a frame thing and maybe that's just in my head. Uh, But I do feel like they would have... I guess the thing is, I don't worry about Bradley Beal being unable to guard large wings like Clay Thompson, etc. The way that I worry about Gary Harris in that situation where he struggled. And Gary Harris eventually figures things out about how to disrupt you, did Clay Thompson. But, you know, Beal, I, I don't have the same kind of concerns about facing big backcourts. I'm okay with that combination. So overall, we got Zach Levine, and then we got Bradley Beal. I'm going to throw some more outside-the-box options at you for upgrading the two-guard spot when we come back on Locked On Defense. Thanks for joining us. Hope you guys are all staying safe and uh, handling everything as we're slowly moving towards reopening things. Hope that's all going well. Uh, when Nuggets news happens, you can bet that we'll be talking about it. Uh, I'm going to have some guests on next week, so I'm excited about that. But let's finish talking about what we've been discussing today, which is basically upgrades of the two-guard spot. So I did a little search on basketball reference from this season. I look for players from 6'4 to 6'8 that play guard or guard forward, requiring minutes per game, more than 20 minutes a game, and shot better than 37% from three, and scored more than 15 points. And they, because this is how the default is, uh, the basketball reference sorted them by win shares, which there's a lot of issues with that, but it's an interesting metric to kind of evaluate by. Uh, Heat, youngster, 25-year-old Duncan Robinson popped out number one at 4.7. He shot 45% from three-point range this season because he's insane and you're not getting him from the Miami Heat. You have to pry him loose. And guess who number two was? Will Barton. That's right, Will Barton. Uh, shot 37.5% from three this season. Will had a phenomenal year. Uh, again, was really great. And if the worst-case scenario is that Will Barton starts at the two-guard and you know Michael Porter Jr. starts at three, they're still going to be in a really good spot. There's a reason Adamares loves that lineup with Murray, Barton, MPJ, Grant, and Jokic so much. Will's been really good. Uh, number three was a former Denver Nugget. How about Evan Fournier? Um, he popped up with a 4.4 win shares, and he shot 41% from three this season with Orlando. He was like the only guy on Orlando that could hit threes. Um, remarkably good year for uh, Evan Fournier. Uh, 56%, by the way, 
an effective field goal percentage. That's crazy good. Um, Evans 27, but you know, you're not going to one, he had a really rough exit from Denver and two, you're not going to be trading Gary Harris for Evan Fortier. That's not a thing that's going to happen. He's also 27 years old. You're actually better off with Gary in terms of the age thing. Uh, Bojan Bogdanovic for Utah is the next up, and he's 30. So, okay, let's throw him out. Too old. So, don't want to get a 30-year-old. He might be good for a year, a year or two. You're not going to trade Gary Harris. But I will physically go to Tim Connolly's house and stop him from trading with another team in his own division if I have to. Um, just did not have to deal with the comments and questions about it on radio. So... That's not a thing I want to have happen. Next guy on the list is DeLon Wright, but he, to me, is more of a point guard. Uh, Dallas also likes him a lot. Uh, shot 39% from three this season, which shows you what Tim, uh, what Rick Carlisle's done with the offense there and how that thing is produced. Um, might be gettable, but I don't necessarily, but like, again, you wouldn't trade Gary Harris for DeLon Wright. Like, that's not, you would just start Will Barton. Uh, same with, with Tim Hardaway, who shot 41% from three this season and. 55% from the field has turned into a really good defender. He's six, five um, has a little bit more bounce to his game from those years where he had the ball. So like Tim Hardaway jr. Actually like fits a lot of what you would kind of want for the guy, but he's just not a star. And when he's bad, he's really bad. Maybe he's moved past that though. At, at you know, age 27, it's a little bit old though, but then, you know, Zach Levine there is next at 24. So that's kind of where we're at. Next on the list is Contavious Caldwell Pope, uh, 6'5", 26 years old, shot 39% from three for the Lakers. Uh, they're not getting him because he's clutch, so the Lakers get to keep him because LeBron says so. And I wouldn't want KCP anyway because he's mistake prone. Uh, Joe Harris at age 28 is the next one. That might be doable considering the upheaval in Brooklyn. Like That might be doable. But I don't know that, like, are you trading a 25-year-old two-way player in Gary Harris for a 28-year-old going on 29 Joe Harris, even though he shot 41% from three? Like, if you can get Joe Harris in a multi-team deal, then yeah, you want to add him. Like, he'd be great on this team. He would absolutely light it up. Um, but he's a way bigger defensive weakness, weakness than Gary Harris, despite being three inches taller. So that ain't a fit. Danny Green's next, but he's 32 years old. That ain't going to work. Danny only wants to play for like true super contenders. I think he's pretty happy in LA after all those years in San Antonio. This next guy is one I want to talk about. Okay. Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald got benched by Luke Walton. Buddy Heald has had tensions over his con. Well, he was in a tense spot with his contract that got resolved. Uh, but was probably gettable given the uncertain situation with Sacramento. I don't know that you th you sit there and you say Buddy Heald is better than Gary Harris. And he's only 6'4 compared to 6'3 for Gary Harris. He's also 27, right? So, like, there's just not, like, a lot of, like, super upside here. Because Buddy Heald's not a superstar. But look, Heald shot 40% and he's on pace. He was on pace to be one of three players in NBA history to hit 300 threes. The sheer volume improvement with Heald. And in this system, next to Jokic, Heald's also, he's a nose-to-the-grindstone super worker gym rat. Michael Malone would love the kid. Uh, not kidding, more at 27, I guess. Would love the guy. 
not the sharpest in terms of schematic understanding of stuff, but I think you can get around that. And Murray and Healed would be such a killer multi-weapon combo on the perimeter. You couldn't double Joker ever. Like you could if you if your lineup is Jamal Murray, Buddy Healed, Michael Porter Jr., Jeremy Grant, Nikola Jokic, you can't double Joker ever. So that's like an interesting one to kind of think about. It's just like what Buddy Heal would look like in the system. Um, next up is actually funny enough is, is Glenn Robinson. Um, six, six, 39% from three this season. That's a real shocker. Didn't play that much. Uh, but just shows you kind of like where this list goes to the next guy's Landry Shamit. The Clippers are absolutely not giving him up. The next guy's Lonzo ball. Uh, Lonzo ball shot 38% from three this season because the Pelicans are just that awesome offensively. Uh, Adam Mars is very big on adding Lonzo Ball to Nikola Jokic. Maybe that would work. His defense is overrated, but that's only because of the hype. He still can be a very good defender, and at 22, as he gets older, he can be really great. If they were to do a deal where Lonzo and Drew Holiday both came, that's giving up way too much, but if the Nuggets somehow found the assets to make that deal work, it would not be the worst thing in the world. You could start Jamal Murray... Andrew Holiday, and then you could bring Lonzo Ball off the bench with Monte Morris, and that combo actually kind of works. Um, and with and you know you mad those guys with Ball Ball, and that's a really kind of an interesting combo there. This is where the drop off happens. So after Ball, you're now getting into Dejounte Murray, Tony Snell, Furkan Korkmaz, Luke Kennard, uh, Kevin Horder, who the Hawks are not giving up, um, Svi in Detroit. Malik Beasley is on this list. So, you know, maybe maybe he's the star they gave up. Karis Levert is actually an interesting one. He's 25. I don't think he's considered a star. But boy, at 6'6", shooting 38% from three with his athleticism would be a really nice combo to add to Murray and Jokic. Uh, and then Rodney Hood and Tyler Harrow. And that's it. That's a list of, of, of wings that filled that requirement. So... This kind of shows you, like, the options are really narrow. Like, there just aren't a bunch of stars that shot great this year um, at the two-guard spot. Like, the two-guard spot is pretty compromised at this point. Um, It's not – most of the guys are great at three or one. Like, James Harden's on this list, but he's a one. Um, There's Devin Booker, which is an interesting idea. Okay, like, you could play him at two-guard. He shot 36% from three. So, but he's trying much, much higher volume. If Booker's available, you probably do. Like, I, I know that there's going to be questions. Be, and like, look, I've I've asked the same questions about whether Booker's just empty stats all the time because I think that, that is a thing. But look, like Gary Harris in a trade for Devin Booker, you wind up coming in with a better like you're adding a a guy that's closer to being a star, even if Gary Harris's defense is so much better. Um. There's Shea Gilgis Alexander. The Thunder are never giving him up. Um, there's Mikhail Bridges out of Phoenix, but again, he's not like a super upgrade, not good enough. And other guys on this list, like Daniel House and Wesley Matthews. Like, there's a bunch of guys on this list that, you know, they're good. But there's only 38 guys, even when I drop it to 35% from three. And I'm looking for 20 minutes a game and scoring at least 15 points that are 6'4 to 6'8 and play guard or guard or or guard forward. Like 
the list is just not that long. It's just not. If you're looking for size, which you need to, if you're going to upgrade from Harris, the list is just not that long, which means that the Nuggets margin for error and however they reshape this team this summer is pretty narrow. And maybe that's the best case for them, not reshaping it at all. We'll be talking more about it. Probably shift to our conversation next week in some different areas. But this will continue to be a discussion because it really is important and it's going to guide the future of both Nikola Jokic and Michael Porter for the duration of the time. Thanks for joining me. I hope you guys have a great weekend. I'll see you guys again on Monday with another edition of Lock On Nuggets.